0: Hey y'all, this is Jeff, and welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we're passionate about amplifying the voices of today's best examples of leaders who use their influence as a force for good. Today, I'm just so thrilled to share a chat I had with Chris Sizemore. He is the CEO of Creative Mischief here in Atlanta, uh, which is a marketing and branding agency founded in 2008. As a CEO, Chris leads their strategic mission to bring brands to life through a human-centered marketing approach that drives and inspires memorable experiences. Chris was first introduced to me by Dan Gordon with J.B. And Consulting and said, you have got to meet this guy. He's super involved in our community, cares about social impact, and is just super inspiring. And boy, was he right. Uh, Chris focuses his professional development through experiences, including Leadership Atlanta, Leadership Cobb, ARC's Regional Leadership Institute, public speaking engagement, and was recognized as a 40 under 40 by the Atlanta Business Chronicle and Georgia Trend Magazine. Uh, His love for community is integral to who he is, and he supports his community by serving on boards of United Way, Greater Atlanta, Atlanta Fire Rescue Foundation, and more. He's particularly passionate about fighting against child sex trafficking, ending generational poverty, and public safety, and really prides himself on being 110% committed to his most important role in life as a dad, to his three amazing kids, Noah, Haven, and Cooper, Uh, really inspiring to me as a father of three. Uh, His foundational experiences that led to his passion for getting involved with social impact causes and serving in the community is a little bit about where we start, and then the three Line to how he's specifically focused on the narrative around affordable housing and creating sustainable change here in Atlanta. So you won't want to miss this conversation. We'll go ahead and jump in here and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to Chabble Leaders, Chris. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So when we release this, it'll be a little after kind of the high that we're on right now coming off the Atlanta Braves win. And I know Mm -hmm. that you're an Atlanta native and Gosh, it's been such a long time. Just tell me how you're feeling this morning coming off of that World Series championship.
1: Uh, it, it's fantastic. You know, I was on pins and needles the other game. I really wanted us to bring it home here. I remember sitting with uh, my, my dad and my poppy, who was, who was still kicking, 94 years young, mm. uh, when we won last time. I was telling my kids last night, you know, Daddy has the, the original AJC article from when we won um so it, w- it was great memories actually went out this morning trying to find the paper but nobody had it yet mm-hmm. um so it's, it's just a great thing it's one of those one of those things that brings individuals together from all walks of life and I think that's what's so great about sports it can cause a divide of course but you know to see the scene at the battery and everybody just together and celebrating it's a great thing it's pure joy
0: Yeah, especially for a native, you know, you think that you belong to the city, the city belongs to you, the team belongs to you, it kind of unifies us in a way that breaks down those barriers of polarization that we're kind of in in today's world. And I love the through line you talk about with your dad, because I saw a post from one of my friends who lost his father not long ago, and he posted, hey, dad, we did it. And he posted a picture of the Braves winning the series this time, because that was something that they Enjoyed together. So what a what a great kind of just way to bring us together, our families, our loved ones. That you know, it doesn't have to be you know ideological, political, you know religious divide. All the stuff that kind of we're grappling with in these uh, days. that doesn't be
1: any of that sensationalized stuff. It's I mean, there's so many great memories from the Sid Bream slide. I was remember I was working at a family friend's catfish restaurant. And I was milling catfish and. All of a sudden, everybody's crowd around the little black and white TV in the corner in Tyrone, Georgia, and we watch them slide and the whole place just goes mm. crazy. So all those fun memories uh, come back and you can't see, but over to this side, I have all the old bobbleheads and, and things like that, that the kids can look at, but daddy's like,
0: don't break the Sid Brillion bobblehead. Yeah, that's great. And what a great father you are today to kind of enjoy, you know, follow follow you on Twitter and you know, I would encourage anybody to do that. You're posting everything about dad life and just the way that you pour into your family and, and the great man that you are. So I know that the central theme that we're going to talk about today is changing the narrative about affordable housing in Atlanta, which is a, uh, a huge thing that's on your heart, very passionate about. I'm excited to unpack that today. Um, but before we really jump into that, I wanted to ask, what were some of the foundational experiences that led to your passion for community impact and how you invest your time, talent, and treasure as a leader today in the community?
1: In its simplest form, and I'll take you on a, a quick journey. Um, it started with my parents. My mom and dad always would give to others first, even when we did not have the time. And I call that the Southern way. You know, to me, that's what being a Southerner is all about. You know, whether it's yes ma'am, no ma'am. opening the door from somebody. uh, We give either time, talent or treasure, even when sometimes we do not. And Mm. sometimes that's a knock. You know, my kids will hit on me like, Dad, you know, let's go do this, you know, and I have to pull back a little bit. Mm. But, you know, it started with, you know, my mom and dad, um, you know, growing up in in Fayette County, Georgia. And as I've grown um, and matured in life, and especially with having kids, um, and I actually say, you know, my ex-wife, she would always hear me complain, like, why, what's happening here? What's happening there? Like, why aren't we trying to look at things differently? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you have something to say, so say it. And that's when it really hit me. There's a, an old song that says by Garth Brooks, it says, life is not tried. It's merely survived unless you're staying outside the fire. Um, and to me, what that means is there's so many complex issues, hurting our community our neighbors our brothers and sisters we can either sit on the outside of that fire and complain throw sticks throw stones like we used to in middle school and high school and say why aren't they doing this they should be doing this or you can make a decision that you're going to jump inside those flames and push back on the, on them and help our community and help those who don't just need a handout but want to hand up you know, individuals do not choose poverty in life. It's it, it ends up happening. It's a circumstance in life. Sometimes life just sucks and you're dealt a bad hand. Um, and so that's an analogy that I use, and I used it for with organizations that I love dearly, like United Way. I truly believe they are a community firefighter. They're the ones who are pushing back those flames um, on the, all the impacts that are hurting our communities, and I'm proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Um, so Two great things, my parents, and honestly, my ex wife, who finally kicked me in the butt and said, Really? Like, say something if you have something to say. And I think that's the yeah. most important thing.
0: I love that. Yeah. And as a business leader, you're in a position of privilege to where you can do a lot of good things about it and you can be a good steward of your time, talent, treasure, and the choices that you make in your life to pour into the community and to solve some of those issues. And with the numerous complex needs that we do have in our community today. How did you really land on some of the areas of focus like domestic violence, human trafficking, and affordable housing? Uh, that's kind of the areas that you focus a lot of your time and energy into, in addition to the United Way, which you mentioned.
1: Absolutely. I, I want to touch on one thing you said. You said privilege. and I, As I've matured in life, and I think life is about growth. You're always growing professionally and personally in life. Growing up, I define privilege as wealth. And yes, privilege has wealth. But I think as two white men, we need to acknowledge that we have privilege by the way we look. And Mm so, and privilege by having access to things, access to people. And so that's part of my journey as well, is acknowledging that and that I have access that I can do something about it and to say something and speak up. Um, So I just wanted to touch on that because, you know, a lot of times we take privilege to mean it's just wealth and it's not. Um, But with uh, so human trafficking. Um, As a father, you know, or as individuals, we keep things out of our bubble, right? We want our bubble to be safe. Um, As an advocate for United Way and being a board member and chairing public policy, um, I heard about a piece of legislation that was coming up that was going to be a statewide constitutional amendment that would uh, provide restorative resources for those victims of child sex trafficking. And I wasn't 100% behind how the legislation was put together. Um, but it was one of those things that we cannot do nothing. And so decided along with United Way and their backing as, again, the community firefighter, uh, we stood up a constitutional amendment uh, ballot committee uh, to help support the initiative. Um, so myself and five or six core volunteers, um, Robin Roberts, uh, Evia Goldie, Katina Asbill, again, all strong women who really lead most things in our city and in our communities, uh, we got together and said, we're going to do this. So I gave my time and effort for, to communication and the branding and the narrative saying, we're not going to make the victims a star of this. We're going to put a spotlight on the demand and the supply, and we're going to say something. Um, and after a year-long campaign with no funding, except for just going out trying to raise some funds, we passed it, um, statewide constitutional amendment, the highest amendments ever been passed in the state over the lottery, 83.4%. Mm -hmm. Um, And during that effort, I met great organizations like Wellspring Living and Street Grace, who I'm committed to and continue to work with. Um, You know, they say Atlanta is the capital uh, of sex trafficking. We're, We're actually lucky that we have the largest FBI unit in the U.S. that can focus on it. And we actually talk about it. And we have great DAs around our state who make it their their passion to really go after it. Um, so I think the more we talk about it, the more we acknowledge it and the more we say victims are victims. right? Mm-hmm. They're not choosing these scenarios. Uh, the more we can do. But there's still a lot to do. We need counseling services. Uh, we need housing therapy. And once you rescue somebody, that's just the beginning. You know, it continues on down the road. So I'm extremely passionate about that. And that is. A very complex issue that we really need to to focus on from a law enforcement training, changing laws out in the state. Um, so extremely passionate about that and will continue to give my effort to um, those organizations. And that kind of also was what started to expose me to the affordable housing crisis that we have.
0: Yeah, we'll jump into that in a second. But really, Chris, I applaud you and everyone who is involved in these conversations of solving the problems around human trafficking, domestic violence, and really it can seem overwhelming at times, the amount of complexity and the challenging situations that we're dealing with to where we don't even know where to start. But it's amazing to see people like you who are truly making a difference. We are going to take a quick break for this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU, a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. And now back to our chat. So let's move on to uh, the affordable housing crisis. Let's start with, can you describe what AMI is? Who sets those income uh, measurements and how that impacts the eligibility for affordable housing programs for both vulnerable and legacy residents in low income areas of Atlanta today? Yeah. So it's a it's a complex issue. So I try to make things as
1: digestible as possible. Um, So, you know, one, affordable housing, I think we have the narrative wrong. And so we have inequality in housing issue across the state, but definitely across our city. Um, If somebody's able to move into affordable housing, but they cannot afford the community, if they're driving 20 minutes to a job, it's not affordable housing because they can't afford to maintain it. So we have to look at a community-wide thing. Is the community affordable for these residents? Mm. Um, AMI, Area Media Income, it's a complex uh, scenario, but what they do is they say, we're going to take certain key areas around our city and we're going to take the average income. And then a percentage of that will become affordable housing. So if you make XYZ, then that qualifies for affordable housing. So when you hear a developer saying, we're going to put something in... Buckhead, or we're going to put something around the belt line. Um, we're going to use AMI for our affordable housing. We have, you know, 100 units. Or we're going to have 20 units of that. Because of the area median income, the person who can qualify for that affordable housing may have to be making sixty dollars to $65,000 a year. However, the residents, our legacy residents who live in that area, especially south of Auburn Avenue, are making thirty dollars to $35,000 a year. So they can't afford the affordable housing. And so the AMI and concept, it can make sense, but it doesn't work. And we're not revisiting it because if it stays the same, I think it was implemented in Atlanta six years ago. And if it just stays the same as the area's median income continues to rise, affordability does too. Um, and if, the, if income is not rising, salaries are not rising, then those individuals are going to be left out. And I guess that gets into renters as well. You know, the renting price has probably increased 70, 80 percent, but income has not. And so we have that is an affordable crisis as, as well that we don't have people who can do that. Now, we have g- amazing organizations around town like Pad Split who are doing amazing things to help, you know, find new pathways for that for renters. Um, but it's a complex issue and that we have to address it if we do not address it we will not have legacy residents in
0: this city in five years. And that would be a travesty. It would be, absolutely. And, and you know, so some of the realities that are happening today is if we look around us, there's a lot of gentrification happening and a lot of communities being turned over, which too, um, I like your point before about privilege and it not just being wealth and, you know, also being um, kind of who we are as, as white men. And, you know, it, it really affects people that have been in this community and have roots in this community for a long time uh, that generationally there just needs to be continued focus on development and uh, empowerment and access. And we're pushing people out of our communities with some of these uh, initiatives for gentrification. And and so what are some of the realities of that? You talk about uh, sparking the wrong narrative of affordable housing, but you talk about, uh, I think you said equal housing right or what was the term that you
1: used it's, it's, it's an inequality in, in the housing um, right. so when we say affordable housing I think the everybody just focuses on all right we have affordable housing we're having this many units well the more single-family homes we build they're not they're not that any requirement it's only on the density housing where affordable housing comes into play but by describing it as affordable housing, And not looking at the holistic picture of, okay, yeah, they're in it, but can they afford the community? Can they afford to maintain it? That's the real question. And that's not Mm -hmm. what we're looking at. So we need to step back and look at that holistic view of what are we doing to help support this family? Meaning, Mm -hmm. all right, are the jobs in that area? Mm -hmm. If there's not, they're driving 20 minutes away or if the grocery stores, you know, all these things add into it. You know, and we live in a situation where five bucks or a hundred bucks could devastate. And, you know, so it's not affordable if a five bucks or a hundred bucks, you know, has an issue. Mm. Uh, So we have to continue to look like deep into those paths of like, what are we really doing?
0: Yeah. Amen. And, and what I really love about uh, what you said before in our pre-conversation is we need to lean into these uncomfortable conversations because they are uncomfortable to some degree, to addressing realities and tensions that have existed in our city for a long time and how as leaders in the marketplace that have the privilege and the wealth and the ability to effectuate change, what is our responsibility in that scenario? Or do we just turn a blind eye and continue to gentrify, continue to raise the bar in terms of affordability in our city? Uh, but at the expense of our brothers and sisters that are being pushed out into communities where there's less jobs, you know, less education, you know, they're not able to afford to commute into the city to, to find the, the jobs that help them sustain their livelihood and, and the generational cycles that that creates uh, amongst their their families to be able to pass down wealth and opportunity. Uh, and have access. And so it's it really is a travesty when you let it go untouched and you kind of turn a blind eye and you're unwilling to engage in the discomfort of the conversations uh, at the highest levels of, of leadership. And so how as a city and as executive leaders, people of privilege, people that have opportunity to make a difference, how can we be doing better better in those areas of need and, and having better conversations and loving on all citizens of our community. Uh, where's a good place for people to start? Don't be
1: complacent, hmm. right? You know, Don't be complacent. Don't be comfortable where you are um, because affordable housing is not just a crisis for somebody who is making minimum wage. It's for somebody who is making a, a decent way, such as our, our police officers, our firefighters, our teachers. They can't afford to live in our city either, right? So it impacts everybody. You talk about you wanna live, work, and play in the same community. They don't. So they're all traveling outside. Um, if you go look back in the history of I 20 and what it did, we took an interstate straight through a community. It divided, right? Have the have nots. If you go back to the um, race massacre, you know, it, it divided, it still divided Auburn Avenue South. So I think we have to really look at the issue and acknowledge, honestly, that we do have an affordable housing, a uh, housing inequality crisis that has been around for a while. And as individuals of privilege that look like us, acknowledge that it's been around and not use the sayings that, oh, well, data is now telling us that. We've mm-hmm. known it's been there. We just haven't accepted it. And so we have to accept it and come up with a solution. And that also means when we think, think about the belt line taxes are going to go up. Our legacy residents who own their properties, have a right to their properties, should be able to pass those down for generations. And just because they have a fixed income does not mean they should lose their house or they, they should divert taxes and then someone has to pay it when they pass away. We need to come
0: up with a solution so they can stay in those homes. What would you advise leaders and our listeners if they wanted to learn more about just what's really happening in the city right now? What are some of the resources? Where do you turn for information and, uh, and where would you kind of guide people to, to really get more involved? I, I think there's some extremely brilliant people in our community.
1: I think Atticus with Pat Split, I think what he's doing is very innovative and genius. Uh, One of the smartest, most passionate people I've ever met is a Leadership Atlanta classmate, Rohit, at the Center for Civic Innovation. The guy's brilliant. Um, How he digs in, understands our NPU system, understands the pressure. I think we need individuals like that at the table. We need nonprofits at the table. We need caregivers at the table and realize this is not a political marketing campaign. This is not a philanthropic campaign this is generational poverty that if we really want to fix this and solve the, solve this problem we can and i think we could do it in two reset the foundation in two years um we have to come together and have those honest conversations and realize here's the things we need to do today here's the things that we need to do moving forward such as defining you know what a family is each community has, has different municipalities have different rules on what defines a family so really look at all those issues and say, we're going to take a systematic approach to dismantle systemic and systematic racism in affordable housing to
0: get it to work. Yeah, highly encourage everybody to check that out. And I think Pat Split just got some funding, if I saw that in the, the Business Chronicle, right? Didn't you they get did another that, round? you
1: believe they raised uh, another round that they're expanding? Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at that model, I mean, what's crazy is to move up in, in our society, you have to have debt, mm. Right. So you can have a credit score. Yeah. People who do not have debt, who have been smart financially are at a disadvantage, right? So one mm. thing that they do, not only do they save money on rent, but they're able to help people build their credit scores. Mm. Like it's extremely important. So all these things build into it. Mm. Um, it's 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 a complex issue, but I really think we take a systematic approach. We can fix these issues. Like mm. wholeheartedly
0: believe we can fix these issues. Well, Chris, I'm inspired. Uh, this time has flown by. I, I can tell that we're going to have continued deep thoughts and conversations and and lean into uncomfortable conversations. But real quickly, if people wanted to learn more about your leadership and follow your company and some of the exciting things that you're uh, getting into these days at Creative Mischief, where would you guide them online?
1: Yeah, our website is creative-mischief.com. Um, you can also just you know, give me a call anytime, shoot me an email anytime. It's Chris at creative-mischief.com. But we're doing amazing things. Our, our, our base is you know, we are very business consulting first and foremost, understanding clients' goals and objectives, what motivates them internally and their most valuable customer externally. So we've had the pleasure, we work with colleges, we work with, I think, which is probably the most innovative company in Georgia, Danimer Scientific out of Bainbridge, Georgia, Hmm. make the world's only biodegradable and compostable plastic out of canola oil, uh, to Chambers of Commerce and to um, companies like NCR. So I'd love to be able to have a conversation with you, um, but I would also challenge every single company out there, um, big or small, philanthropy can drive culture within an organization. Find something that really works with you. Find your true purpose uh, as an organization um, and and go with that. Um, We can can get back to a day where people stay with a company for 20 years if the purpose is right and they feel an emotional connection. Um, But we have amazing nonprofits out there. Whether you think it's big or
0: small, just say yes and get active say yes and get active. Sage advice, Chris. Uh, Such great wisdom. We'll be posting all of those resources of ways that people can get connected to you on our show notes on chatwithleaders.com. Thank you so much just for sharing your gift, your heart, who you are, and your wisdom today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. And thank you for being part of this awesome community. We've been so grateful for all the kind words of support coming in through email, social media, reviews, and referrals If you haven't already, please visit our show on Apple Podcasts and in the review section, tap the number of stars that you feel the show deserves. This helps us continually improve the content and get it out to more next-gen leaders and leave it in their capable hands to bring this world to a better place and how we found it. By the way, if you thought about launching your own podcast to grow your business through new relationships and conversations that matter, I have great news for you. We have officially launched our agency service at Chatwell Leaders Media, where we will help you strategically plan, implement, and produce the platform for you. So go to chatwellleaders.com to learn more and feel free to reach out with any questions. We would love to help you scale your revenue and capacity to deliver a strong social impact in your community using business as a force for good. Now go enjoy your day and be a leader worth following.